This week on the 108 Podcast, talking sex with Destiny Morris. Buckle up for your listeners because we're we're gonna go there. You have to defrost when you come home, and then you have to ramp back up and reheat back into work mode. Please do not fake orgasms. Communicate. You have to be hyper vigilant. In order to be hyper vigilant, you have to turn your emotions off. When we're in fight, flight, or freeze, our bodies stop producing blood flow to certain parts of our body. Then you'll notice that penis is not on that list. Let's say you've seen, you know, A, B, C, and D on your shift, and then you come home and your partner wants to be intimate. It's really hard to turn those things off. Nothing gets that sex drive to stop on a dime. And- Something like that happened. Yeah, that and thinking about your grandma. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is the 108 podcast, episode 312, talking sex with Destiny Morris. This, this, my friends, this is a spicy one. So go put the kids to bed, grab a glass of your favorite libation, grab your loved one if you'd like. It's going to get steamy in here. But first, let's get everything out of the way first. Let's shout out our sponsors. Listen, it's no surprise to anyone that law enforcement agencies suck at getting the word out to their citizens they serve. Whether it's debriefing a critical incident or educating the public about various aspects of law enforcement, it takes a special skill set that too many in law enforcement don't have. In this ever-changing world of social media, do you, your agency, and your community a favor and check out TOC Public Relations, a company ran by former law enforcement to help you get your message out in an appropriate and professional way. Check them out on social media as well as TOCPublicRelations.com. Let me tell you something you already know. Living a life in public service is a life of sacrifice. But you cannot serve the community or back your partner up if you're not physically able to do so. According to a report by the Wall Street Journal, more than 40% of law enforcement officers are obese. Other studies have found that police officers are 25% more likely to die from weight-related disorders like cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, diabetes, and even some cancers. Why continue to be a liability to your partners, your loved ones, your community, and yourself? Contact the folks at fit.responders and get your fight back. This episode is also brought to you by my new friends over at RTI Training, giving you the type of training that incorporates humor and knowledge that cops respond to. Listen, we all know that you will never retain anything thanks to death by PowerPoint. So do yourself a favor and check out the new kids on the block when it comes to police training. They are revelationstraining.com. And guys, I also want to tell you about our sponsor, Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. They just came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It is the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members of the app get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and a monthly nutrition plan. They also have 24-hour, 7-day-a-week access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. So... Go to the app store of your choosing and download the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app today. It's available for Android as well as Apple, so get on it now. And last but not least, this episode is brought to you by Thin Vine Wines. Thin Vine Wines is a mission-driven wine company that proudly backs first responders and the military. With a background in law enforcement, their support for police, dispatch, fire, and the military is unwavering. Thin Vine Wines donates $2 from every bottle sold to law enforcement and military-driven nonprofits. Making awesome wine is the vehicle. Making wine with a purpose is the mission. 
Check out their social medias at Thin Vine Wines on Instagram and Facebook and order online at thinvine.wine using the code 10-8-T-E-N, the number 8, for $10 off two or more bottles of wine. Also, in reference to that last sponsorship announcement, if you buy some wine from Thin Vine Wines, you use my discount code, so you're going to get $10 off those two or more bottles of wine. And for every bottle sold, when you use my code, $2 is going to go to my good friends at the Resiliency Project. It is an amazing nonprofit that helps law enforcement and mental health. So again, go to Thin Vine Wines, use code TEN, the number eight at checkout for two or more bottles of wine. You're going to get $10 off and $2 from each of those bottles is going to go to the Resiliency Project. That's amazing. Go help out a good cause. Now on to our episode. If you're listening in the car, do not have this on full blast before activating your body camera for a traffic stop or any kind of citizen contact. You don't want to hear us talking about why men can't locate the clit or how the cervix shrinks when you're not aroused on your 30-second pre-record. But seriously, this episode talks about stuff that I have never thought would be on this podcast or at least not an episode that's not drunk cops. But you know what? It's an important topic. Cops notoriously suck at their relationship. Infidelity rates and divorce rates for law enforcement are abysmal. It's embarrassing. And for a highly sexual culture, the quality of the sexual aspect of your relationships is so important to maintaining happiness because it'll lead to a happier and healthier relationship. In this episode, we also talk about sex addiction. Listen, cops are highly addictive people. We're going to talk about addiction in more detail in a few weeks with one of my guests. But basically, one reason that cops use addictive substances, whether it be alcohol, tobacco, sometimes actual narcotics, sex, gambling, is because we use it to fill our depleted dopamine banks or we use it to distract ourselves from the terrible shit going on in our head. And in the realm of sex addiction, that leads to excessive consumption of pornography, which has some negative implications, as we all know, and worse off, it leads to infidelity. Now, one thing I'm not doing in this episode, I'm not gaslighting or making excuses for infidelity, but we definitely need to look at the why. Obviously, if you aren't happy with your partner, that's one thing, but I actually believe that infidelity in cop relationships is not the same as infidelity for other professions, at least as far as the why, why we cheat. And that is the most important thing to me, because if we understand the why, then we can stop that behavior and then lead healthier lives. Listen, relationships are important, folks. They are the point of being human, whether we're talking friendships or romantic and sexual relations. How we react and how we treat those in our tribe will literally help us stay alive, okay? It, it goes back to the prehistoric days when we were literally in tribes. So while this episode is fun and we talk a little dirty, whatever, the message and the lesson is to not be understated. That said, folks, I think it's a great conversation. I think there's a lot to learn. So let's go ahead and talk sex with Destiny Morris here on the 108 podcast. Oh, shit.
right, Destiny, come hell or high water, and time zones be damned, we are here, and we are finally getting this conversation off the ground. How are you doing? Yes, we are. Good. How are you? I'm just just peachy. To everyone that doesn't know, which is everybody listening, we uh, we were supposed to do this conversation, what was it, two nights ago? Was it two okay. nights ago? Yeah. And... Um, we had we had to deal with something that I've never dealt with before, which is the the rolling California blackouts. I have, I you know that's totally new to me, and I've I've talked to a lot of people from California, so that was that was a new experience. And then today we had we had an amazing experience with time zones. We had a we had a lesson in time zones. Now, as smart as Destiny is, we got we got school around some uh, time zones. You know what? My excuse is I don't work with people outside of California, so I don't have to do time zones often. Thank goodness. But I calculated. Yeah. Pacific time being ahead versus being behind three hours. So I am so thankful to finally be here having this conversation. I like there's been a lot of hype just between you and I and Instagram. Right, right. We've been hyping each other up. Yeah. So here we are. Yes. And I'm I'm super thankful that you um, are taking this time. This is a conversation that I did want to have. I originally had it slated for uh, in the new year, but things happened with another person. So I was like, oh, thank God she's flexible with this. And yeah, as far as the time zones go, I, you know, doing the podcast and talking to people all over the country and everything, uh, kind of get used to figuring out the time zones. And I still mess them up, but it's really bad when I have like a multiple person episode and one person on the East Coast, one's on the Midwest, and one, and then it's like really hard getting those times to line up. So, uh, once again, thank you very much, everyone. I'm going to go ahead and pass the microphone to Destiny, let her introduce herself, tell us who she is, where you're from, what you do, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, of course. Um, So like you said, I'm Destiny Morris. I am an associate marriage and family therapist in the state of California. I work completely remote. So I um, I live in Santa Barbara County, if anyone's familiar with that area. I'm almost fully licensed. I just hit my 3000 hours. So I've been a therapist for a few years. Um, The way that it works in California is there's 3000 hours you have to hit and then you're able to apply to sit for a big board licensing exam. And then once you pass that, then um, you can be fully licensed. So I'm right about there. I've been a therapist for a little bit. I'm in private practice now. And um, as some of you might know, I work predominantly with first responders. So um, I see first responders, first responder families, spouses, all through telehealth. Awesome. The the one, probably one of the biggest and best things to come out of the pandemic was the um, accessibility of telehealth and things like that and really kind of revitalizing and pushing that to the forefront. That's how I see my therapist. He's based out of New York State. And so, I mean, I, I was having issues finding a good therapist to work with. And then when I got linked up with him, it wouldn't be possible without telehealth. So, um, you know, it's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And um, as a side too, if anyone's looking for a therapist and they're not in California, um, I have a list on my Instagram highlights underneath therapy of all of the first responder focused therapists in every single state. So just want to throw that resource out there because I think a lot of people hear the podcasts I do and they're from different states and go, dang it, there's nothing I can do. Um, But there's a huge list of that. So That's awesome. I was actually just talking to someone from California. He was asking for 
some recommendations and I sent a few out. So I will definitely direct him to your page as well. That's really great. Um, so today's conversation is kind of a dicey one It's kind of, you know, we were, we were talking about it, joking about it. You know, this is the, the relationship episode This is not your mama's, uh, relationship episode though. This one's going to get a little steamy, a little, um, a little different. If you listened a few weeks ago, we had a married couple on and they kind of talked about all the good things that were going on in their first re- responder relationship. Um, but obviously, you know, you've, you talked to them the whole spectrum, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that, and then we'll get into the juicy stuff. But so what when you when you see couples and you see, you know, first responder couples specifically, what what kind of issues come to your, I was going to say to your door, but come to your uh, telehealth uh, sessions that really, like, stand out and seem to be, like, a trend? Yeah, um, working with first responders, I see, I mean, working with humans in general, it's not just first responders, any kind of couples. Um, I will never have a session with a couple where sex is not brought up because it is so important. So sex is definitely something, I know it's something we're going to be talking about. Um, It's something that comes up when I do couples therapy and individual therapy. I think that it is a very important um, place in in a lot of things in, in the relationship. Communication is huge, um, especially with first responder couples. And along with that, I see a lot of infidelity. Um, I see a lot of people that have experienced infidelity. They've been the one that have done the infidelity um, and how to come back together even after being so far apart. And I think some of the biggest things that I see too are chemical dependency. That's a big one with my first responders, whether that be alcoholism or whatever tobacco, you know, whatever it looks like. And I mean, I could go down a list, like people are feeling distant from each other. They're sexless relationships. Um, There's poor timing with sex. There's mismatched sex drives. There's pregnancy planning. That's a struggle with first responders. Um, Sexual dysfunction is really high with first responders. And I can talk about that. So I see all of that and then some with the people. Right, just a whole myriad of options and, and issues and things that go on. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about communication in a previous episode, so we won't touch on that one. We'll touch on the other topics for sure. But, you know, I think that that's like almost the starting block. When the communication falters, everything else you listed is going to become an issue because if you're having issues in any of those other topics, communication will predominantly get you through it. But... You know, you could talk, but you may not be comfortable talking about these issues, which obviously that's going to be a red flag. The the infidelity thing, we're going to I'm going to hold that one. That's going to be my ace in the hole because I feel like that's such a big topic. But every cop knows, you know, that that's an issue, maybe not in their relationship, but they know somebody who has screwed up and done something or have been the victim of infidelity. So that's definitely a, a very important one. But you're right. I mean, I think there's so many different things that we experience, like the different uh, cumulative traumas and and things like that, that make things like sex drive go down. You know, you could be a very sexual person, but you just don't have it in you anymore because your brain is just always going on different paths. Yes. Yeah. Hypervigilance. um, That's a big one that I see a lot. It's a lot of first responders and, you know, cops have a hard time doing that shift from home life and work life. And it's a constant shift that you and your partner are doing, right? So not only are you as the first responder doing that shift of, I like to call it defrosting and then reheating again, 
you have to defrost when you come home and then you have to ramp back up and reheat back into work mode, which you have to be hypervigilant, especially nowadays in our culture and, you know, everything that's going on. You cannot be a cop and, and not have hypervigilance. There's, it doesn't correlate. You would be right. horrible at what you do. You would probably be extremely unsafe if you weren't hypervigilant because you're always having to watch your six. That's something that you are taught probably at an academy level. And then throughout your life, even when you're not on duty, you're always on. There's still a part of you that's deeply rooted as being a cop, right? Gone are the days of Andy Griffith and just, you know, walking down the street and, you know, just sitting and sleeping behind the desk and things like that just doesn't exist. You get agencies in podunk america you know three people in the town or whatever three people in the police department and bad things are happening there we are just in such a weird place in society with the general scheme of mental health i think really being the issue making the citizens more dangerous and thus you know the the cops uh living in in more danger oh yeah absolutely and then i mean the other fact besides that is that our community and our culture doesn't respect cops, um, nor do they hold them to the esteem that they should be for what they're doing. And I've seen a lot of, you know, I think you've even posted it where it's like a cop would say, I would give my life to protect these people, but they don't even respect who I am. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't even know that that's the reason why my job exists. Right, right. And, you know, it's kind of, it's something I've brought up in different podcasts that I've been on and, and even posts I've made where it's like, if you're a military guy or if you are a travel nurse or something mm -hmm. like that, right? If you go away and you do your business, whatever it is, and it's, I mean, you know, no, no disrespect meant to the military, but if it's away, right, you end your tour of duty, you come back home and then there's, there's an assimilation process that goes with that. Mm -hmm. That's totally different. But to be a law enforcement officer and like a local city firefighter and things like that, um, it's way different when you go home at the end of your duty or at the end of your tour of duty, because you're literally still in your arena. You're still where the bad stuff has happened. Whether, I mean, even if you don't, you know, live where you work, but everything is still familiar. You know, if there's a intersection or a grocery, you know, wherever the bad things happen, it's still around you and you don't really get that separation that that's concrete separation and does that really impact the way we have our off-duty lives oh absolutely I, I grew up with my dad being a police officer and I remember sitting he still does it to this day so we go to restaurants he sits with his back away uh, or he faces the door basically mm -hmm. he see everyone that comes in he cannot sit with his back facing the door and I've heard a lot of first responders that I've worked with and people I've talked to that are like oh yeah that's me to a T you're always on, even when you're not on duty, even when you're retired, there's still this sense of hypervigilance. So talking about sex and talking about relationships, um, this is where I see a lot of my sexual dysfunctions um, because you are so hypervigilant that when, in order to be hypervigilant, you have to turn your emotions off. So um, that would also make you really bad at your job if you were just walking around super emotional and at reacting on emotions, right? You are trained from an academy level to turn it off, do your job, put your head down, put your boots on, let's go, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to be very tactile how you do this. So with that being said, when you come home, your partner is you know, basically expecting that your emotions are going to be on. And with emotions also become comes our, our sex drive. So 
when we're hypervigilant, another thing is, is that we, our bodies are living in a state of fight or flight or freeze. And when you're doing that, if we could look at the nerdy parts of it, the like actual biological parts, when we're in fight, flight, or freeze, our bodies stop producing blood flow to certain parts of our body and only produces blood flow to the parts that are necessary for survival. So if you're a first responder and you are having this, your whole you know shift, and then you finally go home. And if we think again about sex, we think about we need blood flow. Men need blood flow to make <laughs> it right. A lot of sexual dysfunction comes in that area because we have a hard time going from having it turned off to having it be a turn back on. And that's what I see in a lot of my couples is they have that shift. And then from the response, from the partner's perspective, it's, well, why don't they, are they not attracted to me anymore? Mm -hmm. Are they cheating on me? Is the sex not good? Why are they not excited? Because the person that's at home waiting is desperately waiting for that engagement again and that intimacy. And the person that's coming home to them needs more time to defrost before they can be emotionally and sexually present. And that that's like the easy part, right? Like just waiting for that defrost period, like you're saying, and then being able to be a human again. But there's a lot of times where, you know, you're trying to defrost, you're trying to turn your day off and to literally turn on in this case. And your brain is still stuck on work for one reason or another, whether it's a call you're stuck on or things like that. And that is going to impact your, you know, your performance at home too, because it's one thing to like, you know, your body being in that fight or flight or freeze and the blood and everything. But even when like everything is like, all right, I'm relaxed, but you're really not because your brain's still tinkering around with everything that you, everything else you have to worry about. Yes. And that's also where I see a lot of the substance abuse come in with my first responders is they feel like they have to drink when they get home in order to turn it off because, and I'm not even talking about PTSD. We're not even going there, but I mean, I see a lot of people with PTSD and outside of that, you know, you as a first responder are geared to see all these different things um, throughout your shift. You don't, you know, we don't ever know what kind of shift you're going to have. So let's say you've seen, you know, A, B, C, and D on your shift, and then you come home and your partner wants to be intimate. It's really hard to turn those things off too. And I've heard a lot of, um, even like nurses that I work with will say like, in the middle of sex, I will start thinking about a call that I had or, you know, a patient that died that day or something, you know, sometimes child abuse is really triggering or domestic violence. Right. And man, nothing, nothing gets that sex drive to stop on a dime than something like that happening. Yeah, that and thinking about your grandma. I think that those are like the top two. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, but you know, it's you're you're absolutely right. And 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 again, you get into that mode where it's like, what what do I do now? Like, you know, the moment's gone. My partner has nothing to do with the reason why it's gone. Like, what do I do? And I want to also pay important attention because I, I've recorded podcasts on this subject before. And when I re-listen, I always go, why do I always paint the first responder as a male? It's not always. True, so for any true. female first responder listeners, it's very similar for, for you as well. And also, I don't want to put everybody in a box because not everybody comes home and has struggles with that. Some people come home and use sex as a coping mechanism. And they might go straight to wanting sex as soon as they come in the door. So I, some of you listeners might be thinking, oh, that doesn't fit my, you know, 
keep listening, see, pull what you can from it, leave what is not yours. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. But I don't want to put everyone in a box. Of course, of course. And and we are kind of talking generally, but obviously, you know, take again, take what is is appropriate. And another thing that I wanted to touch on with when you were talking about people that come home just to drink or they come home, they drink. And then that, that kind of is that separation. Um, I had talked to someone on a podcast and actually had to delete this, but I'll, I'll leave them anonymous for this. But they would say um, not just to like shut out their day to drink, but they would go home and they would drink. They would like pound a beer or five or whatever because they didn't want to get called back in because the staffing was so short and they would come home and they would be, you know, called back in hey we need you for road coverage or whatever so they'd go home and be like hey sorry i, I already started drinking like you know can't do it. and i mean talk about that being a negative coping mechanism like you're literally doing it to separate yourself from work literally so that way you don't have to go back into work to your next tour of duty yeah that says a lot about boundaries that that person would have with their work and also boundaries with themselves right and then you get these kind of self-sabotaging personal um habits you know and and that person has since removed themselves from that situation but when you're stuck in that i mean that could be a very slippery slope to go down Mm -hmm. yeah definitely and i've seen that before coming into my office for sure yeah and i i feel like the past what what are we at three years now two three years now of all the endless overtime because of all the riots and everything. And we're still, I think in that aftershock of all that, where we're still dealing with staffing issues and things that came from COVID and beyond, you know, it's going to take a while for staffing levels to get back to normal where there isn't this crazy amount of mandatory overtime and things like that. So to get back to our, our fun topic, our sex topic, let's um, I'm going to kind of give you most of the floor. I'm going to kind of let you kind of guide the conversation so as far as sex, as far as the sex drive and, and the, the first responder in there, you know, what do you see? What kind of issues come across and, you know, what does it mean? What, you know, I'll just let you kind of lead the way. Yeah. One of the biggest ones I see um, are mismatched sex drives. And I don't think this is talked about enough. I don't think this topic is talked about enough. And I think that's why it's been kind of a hot topic with me recording podcasts lately where everyone wants right. me I think. <laughs> right. Well, because I think like when I did my couples episode, you know, we, we kept it very clean. We kept it. Oh, let's talk about communication. You know, we didn't touch that because I think people get kind of shy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we had two, co- you know, if we had the same thing, you know, they might shy away from it for a couple of reasons. I think, you know, the, the our society has kind of made sex very, you know, faux pas. We don't really talk about that in public kind of thing. And it's important because it is such an important part of our lives, you know, and you're, you're, you're absolutely, absolutely right. And that's why I'm glad you agreed to, to have this conversation with me. Oh yeah. And bear with me because we're going to go a lot deeper than this. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> and, uh, oh, do we need to talk safe words? Is that where we is? <laughs> <laughs> no, buckle up for my list for your listeners because we're we're gonna go there. Um, we're just scratching the surface right now. So, biggest one that I see is mismatched sex drives. Um, first responder either comes home and wants it, and then the partner doesn't, or vice versa. Or I have some first responders that are middle of the day sex kind of people, and their partners are like, "I can't have sex in the middle of the day. I'm trying to be productive." That totally just knocks me off of my productivity. So. Um, mismatched sex drives is a big one. Um, another one I think is, I talked about sexual dysfunctions a little bit, but sexless relationships. 
And I will say this too, is a lot of the couples I get um, that come to therapy are coming way too late. And I'm glad that they're here, but it is so much harder to do the work when you have not had sex in your relationship for months and that becomes a normal thing. And there's been infidelity and we've just swept it underneath the rug. And then you finally come to therapy with all this stuff and you're like, okay, fix us. Right. And my perspective is, where were you when all of the infidelity and you notice that you haven't had that, you know, connection with your spouse? Where, where was that? And it takes people, it takes a lot of courage to come to therapy. And I get that. And it takes a lot of vulnerability to say that you need someone on the outside of yourself and your relationship to actually help with it. Sure. Sure. And I feel like, I'm sorry, I just was thinking that like, it's it's hard enough for an individual to go to therapy and, and, you know, say that, hey, I'm not as good as I thought I was. But for a couple to be like, hey, you know, we need help. I mean, I could just imagine I've never been through couple therapy, but I could just imagine how vulnerable that makes them feel because, you know, your your relationship is your rock. And to know that that rock is shaky is got to be a, a major um, confidence problem. But also, you know kudos to the people that do make that step because that means that the the relationship means so much more to them than just letting it go. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I'm also thinking about first taking it even further. First responders in general have so much more of a harder time Mm -hmm. coming because you are, you know, trained to be problem solvers. You're problem solvers. And so to say that you're unable to solve that problem on your own is a huge strike to the ego. Um, And I like to say that, and someone, if you follow me, then you know I've said this before. I've posted it tons. I like to say that I specialize in people and first responders and men specifically that do not like therapy. I sit with a bunch of crunchy, crusty, crabby first responders that are here. People that would never go through therapy. Yeah. And that's, that's my jam. Those are my people. So, um, yeah. So, so to bring it back to that, I think, um, sexless relationships is a big one where people just are not having sex. Um, and then everyone always wants to know what is the normal amount of sex (laughs) having, right? Normal question to have. My answer is it's different for everybody. So I can't, I can't say, Oh, this many times a week because then everyone else that's not having sex that much is going, Oh, well, what's wrong with us? Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know, a couple times a week, it could be more than that. It depends on, my answer would be, depends on what makes you feel closest to your partner. So if you are satisfied as far as intimacy goes, then you're good. And I also want to tear it down a little bit further and say, I want everyone to look at the reason why they have sex, because it's not the same every time. And I think that we often think like, oh, it's just because we're horny and we want to get it on. But that's not always why we have sex. We Sometimes we have sex, and I'm thinking from even the partner's perspective, is because we want that intimacy. We want that closeness. We want to feel close to a person. And sex is the closest humanly possible thing that we can do with another human being. And that's why it's so important to relationships and intimacy. So the first thing is, what are you looking for with sex? Just having that kind of like mindfulness towards it, right? And then the second thing is if you're the partner at home and you're wanting to have sex because you're wanting to feel close to your partner again or your first responder, 
how can you get that closeness in a different way if your first responder is not ready for sex? Maybe they need more time defrosting. Because when we're able to realize that that's the problem and that comes with communicating like you were talking about, that's when we can save all the hurt feelings. Because when there's no communicating over this, like I said, the the partner or the first responder is going to jump to conclusions of why the other person isn't wanting to have sex with them. So if you were to communicate and say, hey, babe, I'm so excited to have sex with you later and I really want to feel close with you, but I need some more time to just decompress. Do you think we could sit on the couch and watch a show or like cuddle or, you know, play a game together? Whatever that looks like, intimacy. Because mm-hmm. you're still feeling that need, but in a different way. Yeah, that that's absolutely, that, that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of, it, it doesn't fill that void, but it keeps it, open right it's not like a a hard shutdown and and things like that and even it goes back to the communication but if you just say like hey listen after work just doesn't work for me you know i need days off like that's that's the perfect time that i'll be completely distressed or something like that those are important conversations to have too because you know again you know if, if your sleep schedule isn't conducive to it or whatever like that that plays a big factor and then going back to like work performance and then home performance like it could really get you out of whack so that's where you have to be comfortable having this conversation with your partner and saying this is this is what would work for me exactly yeah and the other thing too is there is sex with your partner and then there's there's your sexual relationship with yourself and I think that we muddy that sometimes and from a woman's perspective women do it a lot more where um, I'm thinking of like masturbation, right? So in our culture and in our society, like you said, in in our American culture, we are very, uh, what's the nice word to say? Um, (laughs) we, We step around this topic. We don't like to talk about it. It's not culturally or politically or it's not PC, right? We don't talk about it. Right. But if right. we look at other cultures, this is something that's talked about all the time. We look at, you know, Europe and the UK. Sexism. Oh, they're all about it. Yeah. Yeah, it's celebrated. So with that being said, I think that we have really, as a culture, really focused on men getting to know their bodies and, you know, masturbation. But when it comes to women, there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt behind that. And the biggest problem is that you get a woman that has never explored herself with a man that comes in thinking that his penis is going to work wonders, which I think is every man. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> you mean it's not? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I thought it was no. the one key to fix all problems there. Yeah, it's like super penis just walking in. Ba-ba-da. And what happens is you have sex with each other and the guy's like, yeah, that was <laughs> the best sex ever. And, and he always comes, right? That's usually the story. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you get the woman that's like, eh, like, well, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't come. Or you get faking orgasms. Oh my gosh, please do not fake orgasms. Communicate. Orgasms can happen. But <laughs> <laughs> there, I think that a couple things here is that if you're a woman, get to know your body. And if you are, whether you're the first responder or you're the partner, get to know your body outside of your partner because you cannot expect someone to come in and do the things that get you going when you don't even know what gets you going. Yeah, exactly. So 
that's one of the biggest things I see when it comes to sex in, in couples when they come into my office. And I'm not a sex therapist, but I talk about sex a lot in my therapy with them is people are not taking the time to get to know themselves. And it's because there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of guilt behind that. And then to go off of the whole, like, my penis is going to fix every problem. Just again, talking from a woman's perspective is that the top three things that cause a woman's orgasms are fingers, mouths, and vibrators. And you'll notice that penis is not on that list. Even even the, the worst mathematician could figure out that, that that was not one of the three, yeah. Yeah. And well, you know, I you'd be surprised. I think a lot of men think that you're like, oh yeah, it, it should do it. And a lot of men, and I'm just going to throw this out here, correct me if you think I'm wrong or from your perspective, if it's different, are feeling in competition with sex toys. With oh yeah. I think, I think oh, that's yeah. at least the cultural understanding, right? Like that's the joke. Like, you know, I mean, what, uh, who was it? Oh, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's, it's a Kevin Smith movie, Zach and Mary make a porno. And he's yeah. like, He's talking about like, oh, I just got a bottle of Jergens in the bathroom. You got, you know, Dr. Theopolis, the 5,000 or whatever. And, you know, but it's it's a joke. But it, at the same time, like men definitely do feel like they can be at competition, like you said, with, you know, with a sex toy or things like that. Yeah. And I would get that. I mean, it makes sense. But I think that good sex and I think that everyone's looking to have good sex, whether they're with one partner or many partners. Um, good sex comes number one from communication, number two from knowing each other well, which is difficult with, you know, hookups and, and one night stands and stuff like that. But knowing each other's body and what in communicating about what you like and what you don't like. Um, and then the third thing is using the tools that you need to use in order to get the kind of result you want. Because as a man, and I'm sure you can talk about this too, like when you're able to get your partner to reach that point, it's like, it feels good, right? Doesn't it right, feel nice? Right, yeah. That, that's the that's all the dopamine you need. Like, oh, look at that. Look what I did. Look what I did right there. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of like good pride that comes in that. Like I was able to satisfy you. And I think women feel that a lot when they please men. But um Going back to sex toys and vibrators, I think that not only is there a lot of shame behind it, but there's a lot of competition around it. But I think it's time for men to realize that, yes, women can orgasm without those things, but it takes a lot more. And I'm sure people have heard this before, but women are crock pots and um, what is it? Men, something fast, microwaves, that's what it was. (laughs) Men are microwaves. Women Uh take time. We need to have that kind of like heat warm up foreplay is so important. And um, there's so much in this topic too. Again, I'm speaking from a woman's perspective, but I think a lot of your listeners are probably male. So this is probably Mm -hmm. a good thing for them to hear and maybe even listen to this podcast with your partner to talk about these kinds of things. Um, But with that, um, there's, we, there's so much here. One of the biggest things in miscommunications or mis- um, the concepts that I think don't get talked about enough too is that when women are not fully turned on to you know some extent, um, our cervix, which is inside of our vagina, it, it is not. It doesn't move back. So there when will be woman, diagrams when we post this. <laughs> yeah, we need some diagrams, right? Yeah. When when a woman is not fully aroused, 
the cervix doesn't, it, it hasn't moved back to make room for the penis. So it moves. And I don't think men know that when we're talking about anatomy, half of you don't even know where the clit is, which is, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll diagram. get there. So that way your wife will. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to help you guys out. Okay. So don't, <laughs> don't take me out. <laughs> I'm really, I got your back. So I'm not here to shame or judge anybody. I'm just here to. No, no shame. No shame. Not at all. So, um, so when women are aroused, their cervix moves back to make room for a penis. Okay. Um, when they're not fully aroused, the cervix is a lot closer. So if your partner ever says like that position is just really uncomfortable for me right now as a woman, or that is actually really hurting me, it might be because they're not fully turned on because Mm. what happens is your penis is hitting the cervix and it's not the worst feeling in the world, but it is uncomfortable. And I think that that as women, we don't know that about our bodies enough. We were not taught this in sex ed. We probably weren't taught this by our parents. If you're growing up in my generation, I'm 29, or anybody older than me, definitely probably didn't talk about sex with their parents like this. So no, I definitely think, not. Yeah, as women, we're like, what is wrong with me? Why does it hurt? It's like, well, you're probably not fully aroused. Then that also comes with like wetness. That's a whole nother thing, right? So I was just listening to a podcast on this. If anyone listens to Call Her Daddy, um, they just had a sexologist on there. Her name is um, Sex with Emily, and she has her own podcast. It's really great. But she was talking about how wetness does not equal being turned on. And 90% of orgasms happen faster with women if they are using some kind of a lubricant, which I think is also looked at from men as a competitor. Mm-hmm. Vibrators and lube. Why would I need to buy lube if you should be turned on and wet and ready to go already? I should be good enough, and that should arouse you. But wetness doesn't equal arouse, arouse, arousing. That's not. It's not the same. And I think that somewhere ninety-eight percent of my listeners, including myself, just went what? Like the <laughs> mind just blown right there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like someone giving you a hand job without any kind of any loop just dry doesn't that sound yeah, bad yeah no that's that's not a good time that's not a good time <laughs> not a good time no no so i'm speaking up for the ladies over here by saying spit doesn't always do it get some good lube um <laughs> and a vibrator with a penis is great there's nothing wrong there's no competition here and you should be as a, a man um, encouraging your partner to have a relationship with themselves sexually because then a couple things not only are you getting to know yourself, but you're also able to fulfill that need by yourself when your partner's gone. Because working with first responders, I know that a lot of you are gone for extended amounts of time, either really long shifts or I work with firefighters who are gone for days. Um, and so when they're gone and your partner is not fulfilling that need on their own, then it's going to f- feel a little bit unbalanced when your partner is like ready to go and you're not vice Mm -hmm. versa because they have all this pent up sexual energy and you're still defrosting and they're like come on let's go let's go i mean that makes purpose perfect sense yeah definitely so um those are some of my points um i think going deeper than that i think it's important that people acknowledge each other the sacrifice that each other are making in a first responder relationship where there's a lot of, so men like to feel respected and, and women like to feel loved. Um, and the, and women also like to feel respected and men also like to feel loved. But those are, I think, the forefront. 
Um, and to have that respect and love, you have to acknowledge the sacrifice that you guys make for each other. You know, as the first responder, acknowledging the the sacrifice that your partner makes in living this kind of a kind of a hectic lifestyle in a culture that's not easy. And then vice versa for the partner to realize that their first responder is, you know, putting themselves at risk and hypervigilant and they're really putting themselves out there to provide for their family, but also to do a service to the community. Right. Absolutely. And, and also I think on the flip side with that is don't hold resentment towards that either. Um, I could definitely have seen where first responder couples, um, you know, the, the non first responder in the relationship holds resentment. Like, Oh, look, you have to go back out to the, you know, you get called back in or like if you're in an on-call status or something like that, and you get taken away on a date night or things like that. It can, I can understand the frustration, but I also see the resentment for the job. And it's like, you knew what the job was when we started getting together. This is not a surprise. Yeah. Yes. And this is actually where I see a lot of infidelity, but before I get into infidelity, I need to go back and talk about anatomy one more time. Is that okay? Let's, let's do it. Let's talk about anatomy. Okay. So I'm sure you're right. (laughs) But for anyone that's listening and that doesn't, um, I think what happens to when you've had multiple partners or maybe you watch a lot of porn and then you get with somebody, we expect this one hit wonder to be the answer for somebody else. And for men or women, um, that is not the case. Everybody is so different with what turns them on, what makes them feel comfortable and what gets what gets them to orgasm and what their preferences is are. And so um, communicating about this is really important. And I think it's the most uncomfortable thing for couples to do. I get a lot of like, okay, Destiny, like you're talking about communicating it, but how, what do we say? Mm. And a couple examples I would like to give is number one, a good way to open it up is like, showing this podcast to them. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. let's this podcast together. Let's talk about it. There's tons of different podcasts on sex too. Um, another one is showing an article to them or a meme or uh, Instagram. <laughs> sex reel. memes coming soon. Just letting you know. No there pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's tons of that on the internet. So to be able to bring that up brings up a lot of conversation. Um, also, have you ever heard of a compliment sandwich? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Okay, Where cool. Go ahead. You, you teach us. No, no. I, do you remember what it is? Uh, isn't that where you, you know, you give like a piece of critical advice and then you get a compliment and then you put a critical advice or is it vice versa? Do you put the, okay. Yeah, so you know, put the compliment, critical compliment. Yeah. You got the bun and the lettuce. Sw- switched, oh, my right? bad. My bad. <laughs> but close enough. Yes. I like to use um, compliment sandwiches when talking about sex or I advise people using that. So what that would look like. Let's say your partner does something that you absolutely hated and you're like, that was so bad. (laughs) And you don't want to hurt their feelings, right? Because sex is a really vulnerable thing and there's so much pride and vulnerability in it. And so if someone were to say like, wow, you really suck at doing this, like then you're never going to want to do it again. Mm -hmm. And you're going to feel compared to anybody else in the past that might've been better at it. Right. So, I advise not to say that to your partner, but instead give a compliment sandwich. And that would look like, um, so you would start by saying, you are so good at doing this. You will compliment. Like, I really love it when you do this. It feels so great. It makes me feel loved. Then you bring in the constructive criticism, right? (laughs) But, (laughs) but (laughs) I really love when you do this. It's really great. But I'm, you know, noticing when you do this, it doesn't really do anything for me or it kind of felt uncomfortable, 
And then you give a little bit of another compliment with advice and you say, you know, what would feel so good is if you did this, or, you know, what I would love for you to try next time is this. And let me tell you the right and wrong times to talk about this. Uh, wrong time is during that is like, the worst <laughs> ever. Um, it's horrible when that happens. You're like, okay, cool. Let's just not now let's go to sleep. Um, the best time to talk about sex is right after sex. Mm-hmm. And I think the best conversations and the best um, or the couples that I see that are strongest in this area will actually lie there and talk about it. What was your favorite? What did you like? What would you want me to do next time? Almost like a review. I was going to say, so is that, is that a five-star evening? Like what, what, where, where are we at right now? Yeah. Or it's a debrief of the event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right, let's guys. So here's what we did. Great. Here's a let's get to, yeah. Let's go go back to the war room. Let's let's break it down. Yeah, that's where good sex comes from. Is that communication about it? And I know it's uncomfortable, but I think if you start to practice it, it will become more comfortable with time. Um, yeah. So compliment sandwich. I'm gonna put that out there for anybody that needs to use it. Please use it. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's a good one. Uh, you know, I've I've heard compliment sandwiches for a lot of different topics, uh, not sex, but I, it makes sense that it would work. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I encourage everyone else to use that also. So I think, are we good to transition to the next topic? Okay. So this is a, this is a big one. This is an important one. I feel like, see, that, that's like the therapist. Like, you know, I feel like when you, um, <laughs> no, uh, was that? Don't steal my words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I feel like in the realm of sex, right. And even even when you're talking about masturbation and self-love and everything, we kind of in our society and culture toe a fine line, I feel like, especially like you're talking about sexless relationships and, and getting to know yourself and whatever. But I think there's also a chance where it kind of goes too far the other way, mm-hmm. where there's like a this insatiable feeling. And I don't necessarily think it's. I mean, it, it may be, that's why you're the expert here and I'm not, but I don't know if it's always just being unfulfilled with sex. I feel like there's other parts of your life and your, your psyche that makes you unfulfilled and you're trying to fill it with whether it be pornography. I just listened to a John Delaney episode uh, of his podcast where he was talking about pornography addiction. Um, so it could be that, or it could be sex addiction, or it could just be infidelity that goes along with it as we use it to mask other problems. So you know, we, we all know the jokes and I've made the memes about like infidelity within relationships and things like that. But where does that come from? Is it because that, I mean, I'm sure there's multiple reasons, but is it because we're unhappy with our relationships? Is it because we're unhappy with ourselves? Where does that all kind of stem from? Hmm. Okay. Let me take those apart. Cause I think there's two things there. Okay. Um, before diving into the infidelity, talking about um, sex addiction, I get, Tons of first responders, um, more so police officers that struggle with sex addiction. And I think where that comes from and why it's more prone in first responders is because you ha- are constantly living this high um, adrenaline life. You And either you were drawn to this job because you already liked high adrenaline things. Maybe you're someone that likes to, you know, go parachuting and jump off bungee jump and do all these things. And maybe that's what brought you to this career or maybe being in this career, you know, you're very accustomed to it. So I think that there's a lot of extremes with first responders and your brain gets used to consuming extremes. 
So what happens is we build our tolerance just like a drug user, right? The more we do the drug, the more we crave it, the more we need to satisfy us. And this isn't with everybody, but with some people's brains and the way they work and people with more addictive personality types and people with um, more genetically predisposed to addiction in general will experience this over other people. Not all people do, but some people do where they feel like it's insatiable. It's like an itch they can't scratch. They can't get enough of it. So that I work with a lot of people there. Um, If you're struggling with this, there is no shame. Find someone that you feel comfortable talking to about this and sit down and talk with them. Before we kind of shimmy off of that, I just want to, can you explain sex addiction? Because it's not always just, I need it, I need it, I need it. There's there's different avenues for it. And I just want to make sure, because... Like you said, it it does happen to be it seems to be common in in police officers because you're right the addiction the addictive personalities that come along with it the high intensity lives that we seem to lead so can you just kind of explain what it can be or how it can manifest what it could look like yeah so it can look like an overconsumption of pornography and pornography I have mixed feelings about it I I lean more towards the the point where it's not helpful. Um, I think that it's unrealistic and that there's a lot of unethical things that are in pornography. But I can also see in some relationships, looking at more ethical pornography, how you could use this in your relationship to strengthen it. So it'll do one or two things. If it's not being used to strengthen your relationship, then it's probably being used to cause some distance. And anytime you're engaging in pornography alone, it's distancing you from any kind of um, relationship because you are having a relationship with the pornography. And so sex addiction can look like overconsumption of pornography um, or hiding pornography. I see this a lot, you know, wives that are not um, down for that and they find it and they're upset and they feel, you know, compared to and all this stuff. The other one can be um, cheating, infidelity, Um, or expecting your partner to want to have sex multiple times a day or even multiple more times than they want to Mm -hmm. and shaming your partner for wanting, for not wanting to have that much sex as you do. So it can go with mismatched sex drives, but it's more of an extreme. And I think that people that struggle with this know that they're struggling with it. Mm -hmm. Right. It just doesn't feel right to them. It doesn't feel normal and they, they can feel that. Yeah, yeah. It feels like, like I said, that itch you can't scratch or you might feel too much um, for your partner or your partners. Um, yeah. And and like I, like I said, I sit with a lot of people. Um, I sit with a lot of men. And I remember you asking this before you had said, and we were talking in DMs and you had said, um, how do men feel comfortable talking to you as a woman about mm-hmm things. And you know, it's really funny. I want to throw this out here. I'm going to throw all your listeners under the bus. Um, when you posted my picture on your uh, Instagram and gave me a shout out, I had a heyday reading the comments because oh, they were so freaking rude, but also, oh my God. but also it's just so typical for, um, I guess women to be sexualized in general and First, if someone were to think that I'm attractive to think like, oh, she must not be good at her job or, oh, yeah, I'd go see her and not want to be with my wife anymore. Some of those comments. But the reality of it, of it is, I don't care if it's me or a man or anybody else. If you are struggling with this, sit down with someone that you do feel comfortable with. And if you don't think you would feel comfortable with a female, get a male therapist. Mm-hmm. But I have tons of men that I sit with Monday through Friday 
and we talk about sex and we talk about sex addiction and we explore it and it's not awkward and we use humor and we use sarcasm. And I think those are important. (laughs) Absolutely is. And and for the record, I did not post your picture for for people to slide in your DMs. That was not the goal. And, you know, (laughs) cops will be cops, boys will be boys. And I, I, unfortunately, I figured that would happen, but that wasn't my intention at all. But shame on everyone who did it. Yeah, shame on you guys. I'm trying to help you all. (laughs) She has receipts Um, and she'll post them if you keep it up. Yeah, that's right. No, um, Also, the pronoun thing, I just want to address that. A lot of people were shaming like her pronouns are in her bio. Um, I'm from California. And as a culturally responsible therapist, it is important that I make everybody feel like they can access me. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many suicides that are happening nowadays. There... And I don't care what the hell your pronoun is. And I um, am a female and I am a straight female with a male partner. And that's how I identify. But um, the reason that's on my page is so everyone feels welcome and like they can access me if they need to without thinking that I'm going to be judge, you know, judgmental or hateful close-minded or whatever yeah 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 it doesn't mean that i'm the the same close-minded that you were met with is what you're trying to not portray exactly so anyways we just sorry i went off on a rabbit no no it's perfectly fine it's perfectly fine i wanted to address it but back to infidelity if that's okay may i Yeah. yeah so with infidelity the reasons i see a lot of infidelity is going back to what I was talking about a little bit ago of the first responder not feeling understood by their partner is the biggest one where they are constantly feeling um, exhausted and shamed for not spending enough time with them or not being present enough, or maybe they're experiencing PTSD and their partner doesn't know how to support them. Um, That's usually when I see, um, first responders, having other relationships with other first responders within the department or, you know, the age old thing of cops with dispatchers mm-hmm. <laughs> or vice versa right, or right. cops with nurses or police officers with nurses. I, I see this a lot as far as um, infidelity goes, because what's happening is the first responder is seeking Um, somebody that is going to understand what they do, who they are, and meet their needs for them. It doesn't always have to do with sex. It's usually Mm -hmm. emotional. Right, right. Yeah. And and it's unfortunate because especially, you know, a lot of these cops in relationships are, their partner is already somewhere aligned with that. And I, I think that, you know, the joke, obviously, cops go with dispatchers or nurses or teachers or something, you know, they, you know, harmed people find harmed people um but i you know it's unfortunate that um they don't realize that what they're looking for they actually already have and that's you know um in my relationship you know i was i was a cop she was a dispatcher and when i would have issues with work i first off did not want to take up our personal time together to talk about work stuff. I was like, you know, there's better things to talk about, better things to be doing. Little did I know that I was causing a self-sabotaging thing by not talking about it. It's, um, I just posted, I just shared something where someone says like, you know, I told them I'm fine, even though I'm not fine kind of thing. And it was the same kind of idea where I would tell her, Oh no, nothing's bothering me. And then on the back end, you know, doing things that were not healthy and not good for our relationship or for myself, 
And then when I realized when things opened up, I was like, oh, I could have talked about this to her this whole time and I would have felt at ease and, and all the issues that were being uh, manifested would have not been the problem at all. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that um, partners that listen to this too, or maybe first responders that have not experienced infidelity, or maybe they're new in their marriages or their relationships, there's sometimes that fear of, could this happen to me? And in order to make sure it doesn't happen to you, I guess some things you can do to um, kind of prohibit that from happening would be number one is to communicate. That's the biggest umbrella of all of these things is to talk to your partner about either the struggle you're having to talk about work stuff or the kind of boundary that you want to have, because you might be with somebody that's like, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the details. And you might need an outlet outside of your partner. So we, we can never expect our partner to fill every single void and every need that we have. And a need is to be able to talk about what we do because it's so hard. I think I work a lot with people that are struggling with their identity as far as who they are outside of their profession. Um, and these professions as first responders and as a therapist too, I identify with this. It's really hard for us to separate ourselves. It is our personality. Mm-hmm. It is our character um, to be in this profession. And so um, when we don't have an outlet of talking about what we see, what we hear, what we you know are doing, it becomes very isolating and lonely. Um, and I think this is where I see a lot of suicide too, not just infidelity, but I think it can be very lonely. So having either coworker friends you talk to about these things or having boundaries around it with your partner and asking them straight up, does it make you uncomfortable when I talk about work? Um, Because that's also where PTSD pops in and people don't address it um, or get help with it because they're not talking about it with anybody. Yeah, I feel like it's almost like an infection, right? You have, you know, a little cut on your arm or whatever and you don't, you don't touch it. You don't. You don't bandage it. You don't clean it. Nothing. You just leave it. And it just festers and festers. It keeps growing and growing. And before you know it, you got to chop the whole arm off because you let it become this massive thing that it should have never been in the first place. And I feel like that's the seed of like PTSD, right? Or or any kind of traumatic issue you're dealing with is that if you leave it to fester, it's going to fester and it's going to grow and it's going to become something terrible. And it's going to cause issues in every aspect of your life. It's not just going to be your relationship. It's going to be your work. It's going to be your personal life. And when, when we do talk about communication, I mean, that's, that's the, the floodgates open. And, and if you're not comfortable, like you said, if you're not comfortable talking to your partner about it, there are many other people out there that you can, whether it be a therapist, a chaplain, uh, your buddies, whatever. And, and I, you know, I always push that on people, when we talk about when people come to me and talk to me about things like talk to somebody, even even like to me, you know, you can talk to me, but it doesn't have to be formal therapy just by sitting and talking to someone is therapy. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I think, well, I, I would agree to some extent. Um, I think just talking to someone can be therapeutic, but definitely not the same as someone that's trained in, of course. you know, clinical um, setting to be able to sit with somebody like that. Um but yeah, definitely. It doesn't matter if you're talking to a therapist or a coworker or a friend. Um, you need to be talking to somebody. And then the other thing is, um, I just want to normalize that it is so normal to look at another human being that is not your partner and think, wow, they're attractive. We all do it. I don't mm-hmm. care who you are. We've all done it. 
as human beings, we admire, you know, things that um, are attractive to us. It's our, it's in our, it's in our nature. That does not mean you have to act upon them. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people maybe struggle with that self-discipline where maybe there's someone at work that's attractive and they've been flirting with them or, you know, talking with them and then they don't feel understood by their partner at home. So then they start to lean into that person for comfort. And I think that it usually comes from a more emotional standpoint mm-hmm. and then the attraction usually comes. And then from there, it's a big fat mess. And I don't know anybody that has <laughs> not had a mess when it comes to infidelity. And it's not something, let's say you've already done this, you're a listener and infidelity has happened in your relationship and maybe you've talked about it and your partner knows and the trust is broken. It's not impossible to come back at that point, but it is hard work and it takes a lot of dedication to rebuild that trust again. And you need to be in a setting that feels safe and you feel supported to talk about it because just sitting at your kitchen table talking about it is probably not going to solve your problems. You're probably going to either end up fighting about it um, and you've got the, you know, the can off of it and you're not able to put it back on or the lid on the can. Um, or it's just going to become extremely emotional and you're not going to be able to. And that's where therapy is, I think is important. And I want to leave you with this too, this picture of therapy. Um, because a lot of your listeners are probably like not super keen on it. Therapy is like, I have a couple pictures. This is my favorite one. It's like you and I standing in a room and I'm like, Hey, do you see all the cobwebs up here? And you're like, yeah, I've been in this room before. I've seen them. Yeah, I'll get to them. We both see them, right? Now, let's say you've never gone outside your house, but I go outside and I'm like, whoa, man, did you see your gutters? Your gutters look like crap. And then you would go, no, I've never seen the gutters because I'm always in this room. Um, Therapy is a therapist having this outside perspective of what's going on that you are literally unable to see. And I don't care who you are. I'm a therapist. I see a therapist. We all as humans have blind spots and we are physically unable to see our blind spots. So what therapy is, is, is somebody on the outside that's non-biased, that's non-judgmental, if they're a good therapist, telling you what they see. Another thing is um, puzzle pieces. It's like when I sit with people, I tell them straight up, you're giving me a bunch of puzzle pieces. I'm putting them together. And then it's no secret. I'm not sitting here analyzing you like I mean, to an extent, you're paying me to analyze you, but I'm not doing it and not telling you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to flip the puzzle around and be like, look, this is how it's connected. This is what I see, yeah. Yeah, people come to therapy with like a bunch of broken puzzle pieces and they just throw them on my desk. And then my job is to piece them together and be like, hey, this is what's going on. And my job is not to have people come to therapy for the rest of their life. My job is to teach you how to have these coping skills, how to work through these problems on your own and to use mm-hmm. me as a resource to do it on your own. I'm not trying to keep anybody for a paycheck, you know? Right, right. Um, before we're going to go to the last part of the conversation, I just want to say talk about one last thing with the infidelity. When you talk about the self, self-discipline, right, you get, you know, uh, confronted with a, um, you know, flirtatious coworker or something like that. What <clears throat> what can be said about impulsivity, right? Like, obviously, the self-discipline is going to keep us there, but there's so many times, and I feel like it, it kind of goes with the personality types that are in law enforcement to begin with. But, you know, a lot of guys, that was a unisex guys, um, act before thinking. You know, they just kind of go, and then it happens, and it's like, shit, what did I just do? 
what you know what causes that what can be done to mitigate that because i feel like especially in in like the cyber setting right like on instagram facebook all these different apps it's so easy to to act and then you act and you're like uh oh what did i just do kind of thing you know and then it's kind of rearranging the deck and fixing everything so what causes it and how can we mitigate that yeah i think that everybody's accountable for their own actions um and i think i kind of hate the whole like boys will be boys thing um i know it's a joke but because if a, if a woman would have done this right they're they're accountable to their actions just as much so as men should be accountable for their actions and i know that things happen but there is a point where you're thinking about it whether you're in the middle of it or right before you engage in something where you probably are taking a second to think about is this is this something that i should be doing or am i gonna get caught we know as human beings when we're doing something that's morally right or wrong right Mm -hmm. i mean it's not hard um (laughs) but i think that impulsivity is definitely there when it comes to first responders and people that like we talked about sex addiction people that are more prone to that impulsivity in their decision making and if you know that you have that about yourself like gosh explore that please explore that explore with a therapist because if you have that it can be really dangerous but it can also be really helpful in a lot of ways and um, obviously it can be dangerous because it can ruin relationships. One one thing that you do can ruin your whole entire 20-year marriage. You know, I've seen this happen. Um, ruins trust with people. And like I said, you it's not that you can't regain that trust again because you can through a lot of work, but it's not easy. And I think the biggest thing, if I could give, a, I guess, a tip or a helpful thing would be, um, and it's kind of like a no shit thing, but it, <laughs> this is what it is. Take a second and pause before you act and mm. ask yourself if this is worth it. Weigh your pros and cons, sure, you know? Sure, And I think to everyone listening, you know, if, if I polled 100 cops and I said, what is the most important trait to have to be a police officer? I think every single one of them, and I've, I've asked it before, would say trustworthiness. Mm. Well, if you're going to be cheating, lying, sneaking around, you are breaking that trustworthiness. It may not be on the job, but it, it's the same thing. And, you know, like it or not, police officers are held to a higher moral standard. And if you're going to break that by sleeping around at work or by cheating on your spouse or doing like that, you don't have that high moral character that you claim to have, you know? So it's something that you really need to take a self-reflection on and take stock and be like, all right, what am I doing with my life here? What do I truly value? And look at it. And if it becomes an addiction type thing where, you know, you just have this, you know, in, again, when we talked about this insatiable appetite for something, um, you need to, um, you need to deal with it in a certain way, you know, because then, it, then that's a different problem. And nobody, no cop has ever been in trouble for being an alcoholic or a sex addict or things like that. They get in trouble when those addictions manifest Mm -hmm. into something either criminal or a problem in other ways. And I think that's, that's an important takeaway from all of it. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, there's no shame in it. It's when you're able to admit your shortcomings or struggles that you have, I think that there's a lot of strength in that. And before it causes a problem is ideal, but that's not usually what happens. Usually it causes, usually, Right. Yeah. And then I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say the DUI or the, the alcoholic only stops when they hit the DUI, you know, it's, they wait until the crisis until the chaos hits, 
then they realize, hey, I got to get my life in order. Well, let's try to get there before we get to that point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I want to just point out too that I see this from a first responder perspective, but I also see this from the partner perspective, where they'll often use the excuse of, well, I'm I'm alone a lot and. Um, I'm lonely and my partner doesn't fulfill my needs because they don't want to have sex very much. And so I cheated. Um, and I see that from, from that side a lot too. Um, and again, I think if you're ever in a place where you think like, wow, I could totally have sex with somebody other than my partner. I think it's time to reevaluate your relationship and really ask what the problem is here. And you can do that within yourself, you know, reflecting of like, why am I unhappy? What am I not satisfied with? Are my needs not being met? And if they're not, then what are those needs? And then Mm -hmm. I'd ask like, are you communicating the needs that are not being met? Like if you're just, are you telling your partner? A lot of us need to have specific, we need to be told specifically what the need is and how to meet it. You know, we're not. Yeah. And if you feel like your needs are not being met or you don't know what your needs are, that goes back to what the conversation you were saying earlier, like you need to figure out what you want. So that way your partner knows what they can give you or what you can ask from your partner. So that's important as well. Yeah. And if you're unhappy in your relationship and you're like, Oh, I'll just sleep with other people. Please be a kind enough human being to end things with your, you know, your partner or the person you're dating um, to pursue something else, because it's just not fair to drag someone through that. And I think being on the receiving end of cheating is probably one of the worst feelings, because not only are you sat, you're sitting there dealing with this, you know, loss of the person, but you're also dealing with this facade of wondering if things were ever legit in your relationship, and then you're questioning your self-worth. And I think one of the most harmful things at the end of a relationship is when someone is wrestling with their self-worth as a human being. Yeah. That's just shitty. Yeah, it definitely is. So if you're listening to this and you're struggling with it, you know, it's time to do some Um, self-reflection. All right, Destiny, I've got some listener questions for you and then I've got my last little bit and then we're going to call it a night. You ready for them? Yes. All right. Here come all the, all the thirsty guys coming. No, actually they, they were, they were, for the most part, respectful. I, I'll, I'll censor out the ones that were not. Um, no worries. Take all right, this one. Not really a question, but the trend of isolation being confused with independent self-care. Mm, that's an interesting one. Yeah, I think I think that um, people do isolate often. There are people that are more prone to isolating. And I get what this person's saying. It doesn't always have to be a bad thing when we isolate. It can be something that is restorative and important. And that goes back to, if you're talking about this as a couple, this goes back to communication. If you're someone that needs to decompress alone um, and isolate in order to be able to function again, communicate that with the people around you. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. And um, a lot of people need to decompress on their own. I, myself, after I see all my clients, I need freaking quiet. I can, I have no patience left for any human being that breathes my direction. Mm-hmm. I, I, my therapist mode is off and I am done. Um, and I love my job, but I'm sure as a first mm-hmm. responder, you can relate. Um, Absolutely. Sometimes you just, yeah, you need to isolate. There's nothing wrong with that. When isolation becomes a problem, it's when you're pushing people away, when you feel like you never want to be around people, when you're pushing people away that you love and that you would normally enjoy, that's when isolation is unhealthy. Yep. I, I agree with that. And then you start, um, 
I don't know, you, you really get into the danger zone with that. And I feel like that comes, you know, you get dissociation and things like that. And that's where it's really got to be uh, mitigated. Uh, I agree. All right, next one. Why do you guys always want a girl who loves sex, then when they get her, can't or won't keep up? <laughs> that's a funny one. Um, <laughs> I think that, I mean, I think that's just a really... I don't know if that's true for everybody mm. i think that i mean some guys maybe with higher sex drive are like yeah i want a girl that's like down to mm-hmm. always have sex but the reality of it is as human beings we get tired we get overwhelmed we get stressed out and sex is not something that is um you know, always the answer and i think that might be the answer to that question of why men want women that always want to have sex and then can't keep up. And I think that there is also maybe some pride in that too, of like a man that can keep up, you know, what does that mean about him? And if he Mm -hmm. can't keep up, what does that mean to his ego and his pride? Sure. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I have more thoughts on that. Do you? Uh, No, I, I, you know, I think it comes back to making sure you match sex drives and, and being honest with yourself of what your sex drive really is. Like, a guy could say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. I want it any day, any night. You know, let's just go when really they don't. You know, they, they have their their drive. They have what they want. And then it's like, all right, you know, it's to a point, you know, so maybe yeah, yeah. it's maybe it's not again. Maybe it goes back to them not knowing what they truly want or what they need, you know, what their their requirements are. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the last one I have from the listeners is does my agency fucking me every chance they get count as a relationship (laughs) that's a good one um yeah and i'm so sorry about it it sounds like a really horrible relationship and unfortunately you can't get out of it but you're gonna have to cope your way through it so if you need any tips come find me that's right and get lube it'll make it better there you go (laughs) see we're learning here folks we're learning here all right, Destiny, I've got the, the last uh, – I, I got 10 more questions for you. These are the ones to make you think and to kind of kind of go outside of the what we were really talking about today. So um, here we go. What is the best book you've read recently? Sex-related? Anything. Oh. Uh, oh, gosh. I read so many books. I'm going to start with sex-related. Um, there's a really good book. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. Um, and it is – called come as you are c-o-m-e come as you are (laughs) Uh, it's a really great book about sex and the difference between male and female um drives and all that comes into that i would also recommend to any of my listeners there's a really great book called attached it talks about attachment styles and um i i read that recently was really great um and then i do a lot of i guess pleasure reading too colleen hoover has my heart forever and ever so yeah. <laughs> okay. Perfect. What is something that you do to ground yourself? Mm, I like to sit on the floor. <laughs> literally uh, ground yourself. I literally, yeah. I like to sit on the floor after I finish with seeing my clients and I like to do a lot of deep breathing, which sounds like stereotypical for a therapist. Um, I also like to exercise. I did um, semi-pro boxing for four years and so boxing is an outlet for me to ground myself, weightlifting, and do that most days of the week. Um, yeah. What is something you do for self-care? Same thing. Um, 
I, I like to live a bougie life. Uh, <laughs> it's the whole and California thing. Mean, yeah, no, this doesn't mean that I'm like rolling in dough or anything, but it more so like I like to do make the time to make a tea and get in bed with my favorite book. And I like to make time to walk my dog and spend time with my boyfriend and my family and, um, you know, going to grocery stores and getting all the things that make me happy to eat dinner and going to the gym. Um, and I take Wednesdays off every Wednesday. I do not see clients. I'll make maybe a few phone calls, finish up paperwork if I feel like it. But it's really important to me that I don't overdo my capacity to serve the community as well. That's important. I always yeah. say that, you know, it's well, before I was as enlightened as I am now, a little feather in my cap, mm -hmm. I used to say, you know, you can't serve from an empty glass. And then I kind of yeah. revitalized that where uh, I heard it on a podcast where they said, don't serve from your cup, serve from the saucer, which catches the overflow from your cup. And I think that's important. I like that. That's a good one. Would you open up an envelope with your death date written on the inside? No. Don't I have enough that. anxiety. I'm good. <laughs> Would you be friends with yourself? Yes. I think I'm a good friend. What do you want from other people? Oh, that's a loaded question. Mm -hmm. um, I think generally speaking, um, kindness, um, honesty, respect. I think that's probably most people's answers very generalized, but mm -hmm. those are important traits to me. What sort of impact are you looking to make and how will you make it? Oh, I like this one. Well, in the first... A responder community, I am not only looking to normalize therapy, but I'm also looking to be a resource for anybody that's needing it. And I would love to see the number of suicide rates go down, you know, the number of infidelity rates go down. Um, I would love to normalize talking about mental health further through podcasts and Instagram. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of my who I am as a person is wrapped up in who who I want to be in this world and what kind of impact I want to make in the first responder and in general community. How do you define the word friendship? Uh, two people, sometimes more, that um, have similar interests, that have a shared and mutual respect and kindness for each other and enjoy each other's company. How do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? Hmm. I think happy sometimes is not the right word to use. I think joy might be a better one because happy is an overall thing and you might have sparks of joy in your life, but not overall be happy. Um, so I think happiness, gosh, um, I don't know if a lot of people feel genuinely happy all the time. Um, I think that, like I said, there should be a shift between happiness to like sparks of joy, things that bring joy into your life. What was the second part of that question? What makes you happy? Ah, well, things that bring joy in my life, which contribute to happiness, would be um, my significant other, my family. Um, I think I've talked about, I think, these things. My dog. I have mm. a golden doodle I love dearly. Um, reading books, um, being outside, going to the beach, sunshine. Those things make me happy. Okay. And the last question I got for you, what do you think is the meaning of life? Gosh, who wrote these questions? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a loaded one too. It's so different for everybody, but I think for me specifically, um, I am grounded in my faith. Um, I do believe in a higher power, believe in God. And I think that a lot of that is wrapped up in what I believe the meaning of life is. 
Um, I, I think that if we look on a surface level, the meaning is to make an impact um, on the people around us because life is so short and we're only here for who knows how long. And so it's important to feel like you are doing something that is not only contributing to you know people around you, but also society. And then also making sure that the things you do make you feel joyful. I like them all. That's all I got for you, Destiny. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insight. If people want to get in contact with you, where do they find you? Yeah, so um, uh, my email is destinymorristherapy, my first and last name, at gmail.com. Um, you can send me an email um, on my Instagram, which is on underscore being underscore resilient. Um, you can send me a DM as long as it's appropriate. If it's not, I'm just going to leave you on red be straight up. Um, (laughs) And I have a psychology today page, which is linked in my bio on Instagram that you can um, get my phone number, text me, call me, send me an email. If you are outside of California and you're looking for a therapist, send me a message and I will send you that um, list of all the providers in all of the states um, that can help you out that are first responder focused. Destiny, this was great. I think we uh, we talked about a lot. I feel like there's a lot that uh, the listeners can take away from it and hopefully they have more questions that they can hit you up with it. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah, me too. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Everyone listening, stay tuned. We'll wrap it up. And Dustin, have a good night. information regarding relationships sex or therapy in general go visit destiny on instagram at on underscore being underscore resilient or if there's any other topics that you want us to cover in the future let me know and we can have her back on i think this was a great conversation and i'd gladly talk to her again and that is our episode today folks hopefully you got some value out of it This weekend is Christmas, and typically we have a Christmas chat on the podcast leading up to my favorite holiday, but this year I took a little different approach and focused more on the content of the episodes. But if you do want to hear a Christmas chat, check out the Jersey Boys episode that I released on Monday. Frank Castle and I discuss Christmas traditions, food, of course, and we also do a Christmas movie draft. I love the draft things. We did one for Thanksgiving, and we did one for Christmas. It's a lot of fun, so go check it out, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. Also... For all you good boys and girls, check back on the podcast on Christmas morning. And maybe, just maybe, 10-8 Claws may drop you a little present on your podcast stocking. Next week is a very fun episode. It's the 10-8 New Year's Party. It's basically Drunk Cops, or it is Drunk Cops, featuring some of my favorite friends that I've met on the podcast and on Instagram over the years. 
This episode, we have Kenny the Red Ninja, Frank Castle, P.H. Delery, Radio Waitress, Cat, a.k.a. Pew Pew Goddess, CJ, a.k.a. Southbound Through the Houses, Pork Roll, and the amazing Dexter Pitts. It's a three-hour event, and while I love all the Drunk Cop episodes for one reason or another, this is by far possibly my favorite one. It's literally hilarious. The whole three hours, we just we talk about a whole bunch of shit. We talk about literally shitting. Pizza, DV stories, transient stories, Arizona, Kanye West, the Liver King, the Tampa Bay police chief, and also we play Drunk Cops, Whose Line Is It Anyway? It's just hilarious. You need to check it out. It'll be next Thursday, only on the 10A podcast. If you ever see another cop podcast doing anything like Drunk Cops, let me know. They stole that idea from me. I did it first. I got the idea from P.H. Delery, the first episode we did together. So if you ever see someone do a Drunk Cop episode, let me know. They stole that shit from me. Anyway, until next time, folks, check out the merch store, check out the Instagram, check out the Twitter. We'll be back on Facebook soon. Have a great weekend. Merry Christmas. Take care of each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week. 10-8, out! I know you like to think you found the one, and it must be finally gotta be loved, but you're probably not and probably didn't. Just saying that Snapchat text that game you're playing stars Well show me yours and I'll show you mine Then a couple screenshots end up online And those dick pics and titty snaps Have all gone viral on the internet Tight Naked pictures sound like fun Until you break up and they make their way to everyone And all of the creepers cranking it, spanking it, passing them on Posting it, showing it, blowing them up JJ Vision with a nipple lick flick A cock shop ball drop a baby just a tip Cause news moves fast but your boobs move quicker Picture that ass on the front page of Flickr NSFW, more like anywhere Try my best to warn you, but you didn't care Awkward pose, bad lights, light band Leave it to the pros, y'all, you should never send Naked pictures sound like fun Until you break up and they make their way to everyone Spanking it, passing them on Posting it, showing it, blowing them up Don't take those pictures like you do Of you and your birthday suit Best case scenario, pictures of your stereo Face, never make it to the wrong hands The inverse is the whole universe sees you shake Your holiday hands Background check for the perfect job But the Google search shows you take a bit as a dog There's a booty smack screen cap going around And you had to get a lawyer, get the nip Thank you.